Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, today I have Alua Arthur on the show. Alua is a death doula, attorney, adjunct professor, and ordained minister. Her goal is to bring grace and compassion to the cycle of life by planning for it and effortlessly tying up the loose ends. Going with grace exists to support people as they answer the question, what must I do to be at peace with myself so that I may die gracefully? And to support family members in completing the affairs of their loved one's life after death. Welcome, Ailua. Thank you. I'm happy to be here with you. A while back, I had asked for your support through Patreon, and I'm so grateful for those who reached out and supported me, but I do need a bit more help. So I've been doing my podcast for about two and a half years now. I have probably upwards of 100 guests that I still want to get in touch with or people who've gotten in touch with me to be on the podcast. And so I'm asking for a little bit more of your help. If you could please go to patreon.com backslash Dr. Amy Robbins. There's uh, my page there, which describes the different levels of contribution. You can contribute at $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month, $1 a month, 50 cents a month. It does not matter to me. 50 cents. Just every little bit helps me to continue to produce the amazing content that I am so committed to bringing you all every single week. And so if you could please just go take a look at that and contribute where you feel comfortable, I would very, very much appreciate that. And you're going to hear another podcast that's going to go into more depth later this month in my Q&A podcast about uh, why I'm asking for this. And there's also a Q&A connected to that. So don't just ignore that podcast. Anyway, also would love for you to subscribe to my newsletter at dramyrobbins.com. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe so every podcast that you get, you see. Thank you all so much for your continued support of the podcast. And now here's today's episode. I, so what people didn't hear before was this for me is like meeting the celebrity of death. Like, I am so excited to have you on the show today. I had told you earlier, I've been following you for so long. I love what you do. I love the energy you bring to the death space. So let's, let's talk about both of our favorite topics, death. (laughs) Yay. I thought you were going to say food. Oh, sex we, we can death. talk about that later too. I mean, those those sound great. And yeah, tequila. Can we and throw tequila. tequila in there? Yeah, yeah we're solid. Amy. Food, sex, death, tequila. I think we've got it covered. We've covered it. Okay. Yeah. So, when you decided to make the transition to a death doula, you were struggling with depression, which seems like an interesting choice of career changes from attorney to death doula when you're dealing with depression, although we could talk all about attorneys and depression probably for a whole show. What, and and death literally came knocking on your door. So can you bring us through their story? Because there's so many synchronicities to it. 
That's one of the things that when I have those days when I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why did I pick this one out of all of them? I remember that I was led directly into this. I had been practicing law for 10 years at Legal Aid. So I was doing social justice work and work that felt good to me. I was working with domestic violence victims and sexual assault survivors and their family law cases and restraining orders. And and then when I was feeling kind of done with that, I moved into community economic development where I helped big groups of people work on social justice issues in low-income communities. So it was like feel good work, but some part of me wasn't feeling real good. And this depression just got bigger and bigger and bigger because I kept trying to distract myself from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, At some point, it got to the point where I couldn't ignore it anymore, and I went on a medical leave of absence and traveled to Cuba after thinking about this kid from the 90s named Elian Gonzalez. You remember him? Of course. Yep. In Miami. Yes. That picture, right, is like seared. Exactly. Uh And in meditation, hadn't thought about it for years, that image popped into my head. So since I came out of the meditation, I started researching him, wanted to know what had become of him, what happened after he went back to Cuba and uh, researched a lot about Cuba. And as I went to the library later on that day, and as I was leaving the library, this man hands me a pamphlet out of a bag that says Cuba te espera on it. Cuba is waiting. And I thought that is bizarre. I was just thinking about Cuba. And because I was desperately looking for a sign at that point, I took it as one. I went to Cuba. Uh, One night I'd been out with this woman way too late. She wanted to find me a boyfriend. So she put my hair up in this ponytail. It looked like Janet Jackson from the 90s and um, woke up the following day to catch a bus out of town. And I realized I still had her scrunchie in my hair. Mm. And so I was running through the street to go return her the scrunchie and a car almost hits me along the way. And I slammed my hands on the hood and I was like, oh my God, get it together. Like, don't die. Your parents will kill you. Uh, <laughs> don't die out here on the right, street. Right. Your parents will kill They'll you. They'll come for you here They'll or there. Come in the, they are going to find you, girl. <laughs> So I got it together, made it to the bus stop. I start chatting with a woman who was in line, a fellow traveler. She tells me to get in a different line to get a ticket. I don't understand what's going on. She's carrying my bag. She's being weird, but kind of funny. Um, And then finally I get on the bus with her, the very last ticket, the last seat, and we chat for a while. And through our conversation, she reveals to me that she has uterine cancer. And she's on a bucket list type trip to see the top six places in the world she wants to see before she dies. And I was blown away. She was only a couple of years older than I was, but I didn't know anybody my age who had died. There was a kid in high school when I was 17. But aside from him, it was not part of my worldview at all. You know, How I old were you at the time? 34. Okay. I knew people died, Sure, obviously, right. but it was not like anybody, you know, I'd never thought about my own death. I never thought, well, she's a peer. She could die from this. I could die at any point in time. And in truth, I also had a very serious life limiting illness when left untreated as depression can be. Mm-hmm. And so we sat, we talked a lot about her life. I asked her questions about her death. I was like, oh my God, are you going to die from this? And she's like, I might. And I said, well, what happens then? And she's like, well, then I'll be dead. And we... <laughs> laughed so hard and kept laughing while talking about her life and disease and death. And it was the first time that she'd had the opportunity to really dig into questions about her life and dying because while she had a therapist through her oncology program, that person was talking to her about living with disease. He was not talking to her about dying. And when she talked about dying, people would say, oh, don't say that. You're going to get better. You're going to get better. So there's no opportunity for her to talk about death. 
during because, that bus ride. Because therapists are not comfortable with talking about death. A lot Most of people, people aren't are. comfortable, but yeah. Right. Right. Just even to make the space for somebody to say, wow, I might die mm-hmm. was too much for mm-hmm. her friends and family to hear. So that made me really sad. It, she seemed very alone in it. And I thought that was really unfair. You know, since we're all going to die one day, why does it feel like the most isolating thing that happens? Well, we kept riding the bus. And during that bus ride, I was like, yeah, I could do that. Like, there should be somebody who talks to people about the fact that they're going to die. Maybe I can do that. It was not an aha moment. It was not an aha moment. It was just like a thought that came and went. And then we carried on. Eventually, we got off the bus together. She stayed with me. And as we're going to bed, uh, she says, I hope this isn't weird or anything. And I said, what? Like, it's the worst thing you want to hear from a stranger who you've invited (laughs) into your room for the night when you're abroad, you know? She says, uh, do you remember that car that almost hit you along the way? And I was like, yeah, I remember, but couldn't understand why she would remember because I hadn't yet met her. And she was in that car. And she said, when I slammed the hood, she looked, she said, I looked directly in her eye, but I have no recollection of seeing anybody there. And so when I showed up at the bus stop later, she was like, who is she? Why is she here again? And so she struggled for me to get a ticket on the bus. And then we led each other directly into our life's work. Things changed for her significantly after that trip. She's in remission. She's currently studying art in Glasgow. She's just living her best life. And that was, um, I don't want want to put an age on you if you don't want to put an age on you. It was nine years ago. I'm 42 now. Okay. Yeah. I knew that. But I, I, sometimes people are, I don't know. No, I love it. Interesting about their age. But when, when you're dealing with death, I guess you can, Say your age proudly, right? Because every year feels like a gift. Proud, yeah. yeah. And also the gift of being in an aging body and new relationships with my knees and my hair and my saggy boobs and all the things. And it's my like, back and my chin. And my <laughs> neck was hurting this morning. I don't know what happened. Right. It was fine when I woke up. <laughs> I hear you. I just came from PT, so I know what you're talking about. Sorry, but, that, but that wasn't it. That wasn't, that wasn't the thing. That wasn't, that was the first thing. I came back and I told everybody that I wanted to support people in working for death. And people looked at me kind of strange, you know? People were like, well, aren't we all dying? And I said, yeah, we're all dying. We should be preparing for it. And they were like, okay, what does that look like? How are you going to do this? Uh, I struggled to find the way for some time, but I applied to psychology programs and death and spirituality and thought that I'd become a therapist. And then I was like, well, maybe I can go back to school and become a nurse, or maybe I can become a hospice doctor, or maybe I can with student loans and uh, nobody got time for yeah. that. Nobody. So um, about six months after I came back from Cuba, my brother-in-law fell ill. He fainted at my niece's fourth birthday party and got diagnosed with Burkitt's lymphoma a short while after that. And then four months later, he was nearing the end of his life. And the doctors never said clearly what was happening. They said that they were going to keep trying to do this. and Maybe they can try to do that. Uh, so I got to walk him and my sister and my niece and his parents and my mother, all of us walked mm-hmm. together toward the end of his life. And it was the single most transformative experience in my life. Uh, it was there was such depth to it. It was difficult, you know, 
he was a good friend of mine. Aside from just being mm. my sister's husband, he was mm-hmm. my friend. He was my friend. He was an older brother to me. I met him when I was 21. Every guy I dated went through Peter first. Every job I was taking, we would argue about politics and the death penalty and his sense of style, which was awful, God awful. <laughs> he couldn't dress for nothing. We, he's my friend. He was my friend. So, um, yeah, Peter died and I got inspired to start Going With Grace, which is an end of life planning, training and support organization that supports people through death. It was very isolating. And it, I didn't think that it should be that isolating, considering we all do it. Mm-hmm. And that that same day, 250,000 other families were doing it. So how did you make the leap? Because doing it with your going through it with your family has to be quite different than bringing other people through it. So what is that? What does it look like for you? That's one of the things that I keep reminding the students that come through the death doula training program Mm -hmm. is that, you know, a lot of people come to this work after a personal experience with death and they think I want to do something about this. Often it's just an expression of grief that's showing up, you know, trying to turn pain into purpose. And that works pretty well for some people. But for others, it's important for them to take a step back and spend some time with their grief and see if they actually want to make a career out of being with death because it is something. It was a long road. And I, and I know how, I mean, I don't know exactly how you feel, but I think being a therapist, while I'm not walking people to their death, I'm often either helping people as they have loved ones dying or helping them after their loved ones have passed. So that's totally understandable. Um, Because there is, you know, there's an element of like, I want to do something with this pain I'm feeling, Mm -hmm. or I want to do something with this beauty that I witnessed. You know, I want to help other people. And it's a, it's a, it's a big one. It's a big one. So was it different for you? I mean, I'm imagining it was quite different. It was. At the time, I took about nine months before I formally started anything. So I took some time to grieve. I, my boyfriend at the time was living in Germany. So I laid on his couch during the day and walked through markets and read everything I could read about death and dying. Uh, When I'd come to the States, I'd interview people I knew who were working in the field, took everybody out to coffee and said, can I pick your brain? That dreaded (laughs) sentence. But they said yes. They all said yes. And I tried to buy them a croissant or something also. Uh, Read books. I took a death doula training program at Sacred Crossings here in L.A. And I just tried to gather and alchemize as much information as I could. I never actually had to make a leap. I just never went back to work as a lawyer. I just never went back. Mm-hmm. I went on a medical leave of absence, found death, found myself again, found life. And I was like, see ya. Well, and there's so many pieces to this story that to me are just so powerful, which is one, when we when we are feeling not in alignment with what we're supposed to be doing, that is the time to take a step away and really look at what's going on, right? Because if you didn't, the other path could have been, could have, could have ended in the same result, right? You dealing with death, just your own versus other people. hundred percent. And you hit the nail on the head about alignment. Something was fundamentally misaligned, but I didn't take any time to stop to examine it. 
I just kept pushing through, pushing through, pushing through. And then the depression kept getting bigger and bigger. And something was like, hello, honey, something ain't working. For me, at least, that's the way depression was manifesting. Mm -hmm. I understand that for many others, there is a chemical imbalance in the brain. But for me, it was, I mean, probably chemically induced also. But like, hello, 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 get it together, young lady. Like what? You're not living your truest self. Right. Go ahead. There were parts of myself I weren't, I wasn't using. Right. And I think that depression, sometimes it's a which comes first. You know, does that lead to the chemical imbalance, right? Because when you're not, when you get into this place where you're constantly feeling awful about what you're doing or you're not enjoying life, you know, you you start to feel worse. And then that kind of spirals downward. And then... The, we could get into neurotransmitters and all of that, but it cha- it does change the chemistry in your brain. And so I just admire, I had a similar experience early on where I was doing something that I absolutely hated and it just was manifesting every everywhere it could. And so I stopped and waited, ta- I quit my job and waited tables until I could figure out what I wanted to do. And it's a hard thing to do. It is. We don't, we don't have enough encouragement uh, societally for it. You know, it seems brave to stop doing the thing that you've been doing for a long time to try and figure something else out because we reward pushing through. Mm-hmm. But it's like something isn't working. And I was telling everybody something isn't working. A friend of mine saw me uh, change my clothes in like the height of the depression right before I left for Cuba. And I was so thin. You could see my ribs in my front and my back. And I'm, you know, I, I, I got some decent size on me, but like that thin was not healthy for me. I naturally should not be anywhere near that. And it was evident that I was sick. You know, it was now showing up in my body. I was ill. Mm-hmm. Like I could hold water in my collarbones. Oh my gosh. Thin. Right. Yeah. I was not healthy. I was sick. So. How do you deal every day with the heaviness of what you do? It doesn't feel that heavy. It can be sad. Mm -hmm. It can, but there can also be a lot of laughter. In grief is a really fertile ground. You know, when somebody's dying, there's all the anticipatory grief and then the death actually happens and then there's a big hole and folks are like trying to make some sense out of it, trying to understand something about themselves and the world. And then sometimes it just flat out sucks. And through it all, we're still very human. So there are still moments of joy. There's still laughter. Um, There's tenderness. There's compassion. Mm-hmm. There are all the juicy human emotions as well as the difficult ones. And when I'm with somebody who's dying or somebody who's just died, there's something absolutely miraculous about standing at the doorway of existence. Mm. I am humbled by it every single time. That rather than it being heavy, there's like a lightness of being that goes along with it because there's such a mystery to this human ride. Like what, what mm-hmm. Like that person was just living and now they're gone. And my mind is blown and I'm holding space for grief mm-hmm. and awe 
and laughter and a lot of tears and mess because there's stuff everywhere a lot of times and you know the regular human things that go along with dying it's intense can you describe to us what physically happens as we approach death what what should we expect Ooh, that's a good (laughs) question this is what i've observed is that in the weeks leading up to death or months maybe there's a change in energy levels it's harder to engage with the outside world, sleeping more often, laying down more often. Disease is also happening. And so disease is taking its toll on the body. And I'm describing this as uh, often deaths from disease, like mm-hmm. a process. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we lose appetite. And so we start eating less and less. Also because certain foods or food can tax the digestive system. That's like working to shut down. We also, we stay thirsty but the desire to drink as often isn't there like the body doesn't need as much anymore it doesn't need as much nourishment does not need as much um, hydration and then in the I'd say days before death uh, you can tell that the person is receding to someplace else they're just getting further and further away. Either their eyes are open they're having a conversation with you but it feels as though they're far away or they're you know sitting there and they they're off someplace um and there are changes in the skin that occur in uh, people with fair skin or white people the skin starts to model which is it makes these like splotchy things Mm. around everywhere Uh, there might be some swelling some edema from fluid retention urine starts to change color uh, gets darker the output is less etc body systems are shutting down and since when it, one system impacts the other, they all just kind of shut down in tandem. And then at some point, they all just kind of stop. And then at some point, we actually call it death when the heart stops beating, but there are breaths and there's still oxygen running in the blood. So the blood is actually still moving and still pumping and still circulating. Yeah. It's fascinating because we, like, before I had my kids, I had to attend a class, right? An all-day class to learn about birth and what it's going to be like and how it's going to happen. And I had to understand. And every day I, you know, watched this, I got, or every week I got this update. My baby looks like this right now. (laughs) My baby looks like that. And I know we can't do it exactly for death, but I feel like we should do something. Like, we should know more about what's, what's happening, We should know a lot more. We should know a lot more. We should know what happens with the body. We should understand what happens with finances. We should understand what happens with our stuff. We should understand grief. We should know that people express grief differently. We should know what to say to people who are grieving. Um, We should know what to do with leftover medications. We Mm. need to have a functional death literacy in culture overall. It's really sad that we don't. We have sex ed. We need death ed. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I still have my dead dog's um, medication in my fridge because I never knew what to do with it. Because you and don't I, know what to do with it. And I think he's been gone for four, four or five years. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> call your vet. <laughs> call a vet. Call their vet and figure out if there's donation centers or it's that old. might just be time to toss it. Yeah, I know. I have like an issue with throwing medication in the garbage and all that. But Understandable. Um, so how, how often do you cry with your clients? All the time. 
I'm a crier. I cry at beauty too, you know? And so sometimes it is the sadness and the grief that I'm crying with them in, but sometimes it's also something funny happened and we laugh until we cry. Mm -hmm. Uh, But regularly. At first, it was something that I tried not to do because I thought it wasn't professional of me somehow. Like, I'm supposed to be the expert. What am I doing here? Weeping. But the first time I did that and I felt so bad about myself for doing it, the client's sister called and said she was so grateful that I showed some emotion because everybody else treated it like a job. And I treated it, I treated her sister like a human. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh man, that really hit home. Um, And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, but in my legal practice, like I'd have to go and hide in the bathroom to go and cry during court hours when something Mm -hmm you know, when my client would give her testimony and it would be so powerful and moving and I'd be moved to tears, but would just suck it all up and in and wait, 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 wait until I could finally release the emotion. Yeah. It's not so cute to cry in court, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Probably why I'm not a lawyer. Cause I hear that. I'm a big crier too. So I was just curious because I have cried many times with when people share their story and really you know, there's similarities like you witness it, I witness it. When people are in their rawest emotion and you get to journey with them in that, there's, I don't think there's anything more meaningful in life Me than that. Could there, I mean, I fall in love with them because how do mm-hmm. I not with somebody who is letting me into the deepest parts of their humanhood? You know, yeah. I fall in love with them all the time. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. It's just a beautiful thing to witness. Yeah, yeah. So what does going with grace mean? Oh, it means approaching this ride with as much, ah, oh, okay, this is what it is, and surrender as possible. Taking it for what it is. Taking it for what it is. Yeah, and responding. How do we surrender? How, How do you advise we surrender? Well, the only thing that I found so far that works is adapting to the circumstance because, you know, I see the thing that I want it to be, but it's not that. And I have to bridge the gap somehow. And sometimes that's a process of grief that allows me to bridge the gap between what I want it to be and what it actually is. But then I have to step into the new circumstance. Okay, now I'm here. This is the thing that's actually happening, not in my wildest dreams and expectations or my imagination, but this is the thing that has actually happened. And be with that thing that's happened. Arrive in that place. That's mm-hmm. how we surrender. We arrive. Because otherwise, you know, we try so hard to make it something else. But, you know, life happens and it is happening. It's constantly in process. I've been noticing lately how often I'm saying, we'll see. Well, my new partner is reminding me all the time because they'll say something and I'll say, we'll see right afterward. <laughs> and... <laughs> I think it's true. Like, we'll see. Right. And we'll deal with it when we get there. Right. So when you were describing the person as they're dying, kind of fading, 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 what do you think happens? When they're fading? Mm-hmm. I think that life force is being, is diminishing. I think that the the vim that allows us to engage is slowly winding down. And there's this thing called the death rally. I don't know if you, have you ever heard of it? No, that, that I haven't. 
it's something that happens maybe a few weeks or a few days before death after somebody's kind of gotten real slow and sluggish and then all of a sudden they'll appear to have more energy and be like asking for foods mm. and want to see certain people and handle some business and like you think for a second oh are they back and then to me that's like the burning off of the last little bit of life force and then gotcha not long after that they are imminently or actively dying but would around be, the rally. Would that be the same as terminal lucidity? Because I've heard that before, where they have like these similar. moments where they're a little bit more lucid and clearer. and Yeah, similar, similar in that there's this like awakenedness, whereas before they were so far away, but then they're like present and engaged and in it. And then before long, that just indicates that somebody will soon die. Yeah. Uh, is there a time of, I know this is like the weirdest question because I think people are dying all the time, but it seems to me for some reason that this time of year from, I don't know, March till May, maybe it just seems that there's more death. Am I making that up? Um, my under, no, I don't think so. My understanding is that there is a big uh, rush of people who die right after the holidays because they're like just trying to make it mm. through the holidays mm, mm -hmm. and so maybe the ones that survive the holidays through you know an illness or so then start to die off in the early spring mm. yeah, yeah I just I just feel like this time of year it's always it's always so present for me I don't know why if it's just like a I'm more attend you know more paying more attention to it or whatever it is but I was just curious in your experience. Yeah. What do you think it would be like if we were immortal? Boring. <laughs> it would be so boring. Can you well, imagine? You would be out of a job, right? Oh, so you would have God. to find something else to do. I might have to go back to lawyering. No. <laughs> um, it would be boring. I mean, you're like 7,676th birthday. And they're bringing out the candles. Oh, God, there's that song again. There are those candles again. Why are we even bothering to do this? There would be no meaning. And we fear, frankly, the thing that makes life the most meaningful. Yeah. Life only matters because we die. Right. If it didn't, then we'd just keep doing this for forever. And it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. But death is the thing that motivates us all unconsciously. Right. Yeah, yeah, and you talk about this. I love your little, your vlogs. Mm. So you do these vlogs and you you say at the end of them, they're one minute and you say, thank you for giving me one minute of your life to think about the end of it. Yes. So I wanted to talk about a few of them. Okay. Um, letting go. Yeah. Tell us about that. Because it's not about the dead people. It's not about telling your loved ones it's okay to let go. Yes. And that's what we often do. And people like crouch down near the ear of somebody they care about. They're like, it's okay. You can let go. Meanwhile, gripping their hands tight. Meanwhile, holding on to them so tight. And there's this phenomenon. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but um, often people who've been surrounded by folks in their last moments, when everybody leaves the room is when they die, not mm -hmm. when everybody's sitting there watching them. And so often it's the, the living people that need to let the dying person go. They need to actually release them, not tell them that it's okay to go. They have no choice. It's happening anyway. But we need to let them go so that mm -hmm. they can move along. Yeah. Um, I think we sort of touched on this, but the immortal jellyfish. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was so freaked out when I found about these things. The immortal jellyfish, the species that lives somewhere in the sea, that the body regenerates when they can tell that there's something falling apart. They just go in and fix it. And so they can reset the body to like an earlier time. It's kind of like the time machine on the computer if you have a Mac. So it just resets. Yeah. And so that way they could technically live for forever. Just keep resetting, 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 you know, because they don't degenerate. To what point in time? Like, I'm thinking, like, if I was going to reset, like, what time would I reset to? When would you reset? I, I'm not sure. Right? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not there yet. Ooh, that's juicy. I think sometimes about, like, the body, and I'm like, is there a certain time where my body felt really, really good that I'd want to reset to? But if it also resets, like, my mind, I don't want to do that. That's the thing, or, like, what I was dealing with at that point period of time okay 24 years old no thank you right so like could you pick and choose yeah that would be kind of rad let's ask the immortal jellyfish and they and they what happened they can get eaten though they're predators right yep they can get eaten and sometimes the process doesn't work the way that it should and so they can die but they could also live for forever do, do they have like an idea of what the longest living immortal jellyfish is? I haven't found that, but you better believe I'm going to research it as soon as we finish talking. Okay. We're going to, we're going to re, because I, I said before, I'm, I need to have you back on this new yeah. platform that I'm on. Um, okay. Stuff. Cause I actually love what you talk about, about your purses. I think it was your purses and your shoes. I love stuff. I love pretty things. I surround myself with them. There's a vase right over here that you can't see that's full of flowers. There's little knickknacks everywhere, as you can see, Amy, because we're on video. Mm -hmm. I love stuff. I like to look at beauty. And also, everything that I have, someday, somebody's going to have to get rid of. And so just Mm -hmm. makes me think more consciously about what I choose to bring into my home and what I want to purchase. You know, people are like, oh, just get another one. I'm like, no, A, I already have one. And B, what do I do? Like somebody's going to have to do something with this when I die. Uh, either I'm going to have to get rid of it while I'm living or somebody else is going to have to, and let's just not do that to them. Uh, there's this phenomenon called Swedish death cleaning. And it sounds so mm-hmm. awful. Yeah. When I first heard it, I thought it sounded like my summers when I was a teenager. My mom would make us like clean till, you know. <laughs> it actually sounds like maybe a job I would like because I'm a big organizer thrower outer, but I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> Oh, so tickled by that. So tickled by that. But in a similar vein, it's like you pare your things down, just down, down, down to only the things that you actually use and you get rid of things as though you're going to die. Well, that's the that's the heightened version of it. But the basic premise is that you are intentional about all the things that you bring in, bearing in mind who is going to enjoy it when you can no longer. Mm. Yes. And you go through your stuff with that type of eye. Is there a use for it? Who's going to use it afterward? Why are we keeping it? If none of the above, get rid of it. Oh, I need that person on my show. Right. Yeah. That's a great idea. I think they're Danish. It it sounds very, um, what's that? Tidying up that book. Oh, Marie Um, Kondo. Yeah. yeah. It's like the supersized version. Gotcha. So you have like three shirts and two pairs of pants and. Yeah, that's not for me. Yeah, because I think then, (laughs) did you see the movie Soul? Yeah. You know, one of the things that was so profound to me in that movie was when the little soul was like choosing what it wanted to eat, but it couldn't really taste it because it wasn't in a human body. And it's like part of being in a human body is being able to enjoy tequila, 
sex. Yes. yes. Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that's like looking at pretty things, smelling flowers. Like one of the meditations I really enjoy using on people when they're experiencing any type of anxiety or like anticipatory grief, like they're not here presently, but they're way someplace else about this horrible thing is bringing them back to the five senses meditation mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. where they just take in one element of the senses. Cause it's like, we're in a body. Let's like play in that experience of being in a body. Right. And the sensory experience is so rad. Like looking at pretty things. Yeah. Yeah. Wearing nice shoes. And drinking looking, out of a pretty wine glass. Looking in the mirror and feeling good about yourself because you got a good. pretty shirt and nice shoes and a yes. purse and that you love. All this random gold I have in my face from piercings. Like, it looks pretty. I like it. I'd rather look at it. Well, and, and I love that you can talk about death and also talk about this. Like, th- <laughs> that, that it doesn't feel like they're, because you're in this death space and and... It has to all be about dying and feeling and, you know, it's also about, it's, it's actually more about living. 100%. 100%. Like one of the major regrets I hear of people on the deathbed is that they didn't live fully, you know, and because of that, because I see that and also because I experienced not living fully when I was working at legal aid and by thinking about the type of death I wanted to have, I realized that it's one of my values is to live as authentically and boldly and as full as possible. Let me not say no to myself for the things mm-hmm. that serve me and feel good, but let mm-hmm. me not deny myself. Whenever I do that, it's an act of violence against myself currently, but also my deathbed self. Like, let me let me give her the type of life that she requires so that she can have a death that she feels good with. And when you say live fully, what does that mean? Because we each define what live fully means to us. But what do you, is there a theme that you see for people? Like I didn't travel enough or I didn't spend enough time with my kids or my partner or my parents or. No, it all is so individual. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't heard anybody say, I wish I would have worked more, right. but I have yeah. heard, you know, but I have heard like, I wish I would worked harder on something, mm. you know? And so I think it just varies for every individual. Mm. Like All those, our values are so different. And um, I keep looking for where they might align, but the only alignment is around regret, like not having done something rather than having done something. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so if I'm on the fence, I'm like, well, let's just do it. See what happens. Because on my deathbed, I might be mad that I didn't do it. Right. Yeah. Right. Unless that's bungee jumping and you die from that, in which case you might be like, eh, maybe I should have rethought that choice. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Or maybe my last moments were like sailing through the air and finally right. I felt what it was like to fly. And I was like, I did it. True. Then we're out. Yeah. <laughs> Peace out. Okay, last one. I don't want this conversation to end, but my last one is death day. Oh, yeah. It trips me out. We don't know when our death is. I love that you said this, like that, that one, one of these 365 days will be the day we die. One of them. 
And every year we pass it all the time. And in the future, somebody that I love a lot is going to think about that day approaching. It's going to cause them some stress and grief. And they might have to lock themselves in the room and cry. Or Or they're not going to realize it because it's repressed. And then they're going to feel crappy that time of year and be like, why do I feel crappy? And then they're going to come to me and say, why do I feel crappy? And I'm going to say, when did your loved one die? And they're going to be like, oh, yes. Ah, yes. (laughs) That part too. And hopefully in like, you know, a few years after my death, when the death day comes, they're going to think fondly of me and they're going to look at pictures and laugh about some ridiculous thing I did at some point. But I don't know when that date is. I don't know. None of us do. And I Mm -hmm. find that utterly fascinating. It is. So, so everybody contemplate that for a little bit, like 15 years from now, today could be our death day. Could be it. And by the way, I'm hiring you if, it, if, I'm looking, if it's looking like I'm headed in that direction. I'm going to die in the summer so you can come to California. I mean, Great. to Chicago. Great. Thank so you. So you can hang out I with your friend, that. eat pizza, and help me die in the summer in Chicago. I got you. <laughs> what else do you want? For my death? Yeah. That's a good question. I think about it a lot. Do I get to choose my age? Sure. Okay. This is your ideal right now. My ideal, I think it would be like, I I actually, my grandma had an amazing death. Mm. Minus the fact that she didn't get to take something to die. That would be something I would want. You mean like medical aid and dying? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Like if I knew that that, so I want to live long, like long enough to see my children grow up and become whatever it is they're going to become. I would love to, I want to travel a ton. I want to live somewhere warmer than here a lot of the time. But I really, I want to have everybody I love around me and say, I want to choose my death day. Yeah. I want to say, you know what? And this, this happened to my grandma. She was 92. She had a stroke. She had... 10 great-grandchildren that she had seen born. I think it was 10. Um, A full, full life. She had also had a lot of sadness. She lost a child. And so, but, but when it came to the end and she had the stroke, she knew that she was probably never going to fully recover from it. Mm -hmm. And she said that she looked in one of one of the grandchildren, great grandchildren's eyes when they came in to see her in the hospital. And she decided she never wanted to see anybody look at her that way again. Mm-hmm. And she was 92 and her body was, was just, it wasn't working the way, I mean, she was uncomfortable, arthritis, I mean, lots of stuff. And she just decided that she didn't want to go to a home and do rehab and all of that. And she just wanted to hospice out. Yeah. So. Wow. That's she did. a powerful choice. Mm-hmm. A really beautiful choice. And yeah. I want to, I want to, I want that. That is what I want. Except mm-hmm. that she died with no one around because it was through, you know, hospice versus being able to have a medically induced. Okay. Death because she like didn't a, know when it was happening. Right. And we don't have, I don't think in Illinois we have medically induced options. Yeah. So that would be my, my way. And then, and then I think I, I think I'm not clear on this, but 
this is recorded so people can come back, you know, my loved ones and hear what I want. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I want to go to Mexico. What like do you mean? My, my um, ashes. Or oh. I'm really fascinated by the recompose. Yes. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. So either cremated and somewhere in Mexico, any place in particular? Maybe Punta Mita. I love this beach there. Lovely. So send her ashes to Punta Mita, <laughs> scouting animal ceremony, <laughs> or recompose, mm-hmm. which is I haven't decided cool. yet. So if I if I die like tomorrow, you can make that choice for me. What about <laughs> what about you? Uh, how my ideal death? I would like to live long enough that I still feel comfortable in my body, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm not like constantly in some discomfort. And then I would like to be in my bed. I'd like to be outside though. Mm, Hopefully they can like yeah. wheel me outside. Uh, I want my people around, my loved ones, but I don't want anybody to touch me really. I want them to kind of be doing their own thing around me. Uh, I want to watch the sky change. I want to watch sunset. I'd love to see a sunset for the last time. I have a Nag Champa amber incense that I love. I want to smell that. I want to hear the sound of running water, which isn't too far away and also isn't too, like not a river or anything, just like little trickles of water. I want socks on my feet. Mm. Yeah. And I want to, I want to, I want to surrender. I want to be like, okay, we did it. We did it. We did as much as we could. And I don't mean in like the doing, but like we, we did as much with life as we could. Like we, right. filled, we filled it up. I don't want to feel like there's anything left, not of my talent or skill or humor or love. I want to give it all away while I'm here. I want to give it all away. Mm-hmm. And then when, I, when they can tell that I've died, I want them to clap. I want them to uh, clap. Like when the sun sets. Yes. I always find that fascinating that people clap every time the sun sets. It's so cool. It is cool because it's like it does it every day, right? Yeah, right? Let's gather and like acknowledge it. Yeah, I want them to clap when I die. I I think you've given me more to even think about what else I want. Great. Hmm. Great. Well, Elua, wow. It's been fun. It's been amazing. It was, it lived up to the... Taylor Swift concert that I took my daughter to. (laughs) (laughs) Except I got you one-on-one. She had to, you know, be in a venue with thousands of people when that used to happen. You're funny. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Where can people find you if they want to know more about what you're doing? I can always be found on the internet at goingwithgrace.com. The Going With Grace training program is also available on the internet on that website and on social media, Instagram, going underscore with underscore grace. Otherwise, you're going to find a yellow lab in like Kansas or something like that without the underscores and on Facebook. Perfect. And all this will be in my show notes and everything. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. <laughs>